Kirsty Wark has anchored Newsnight since 1993. She famously clashed with Margaret Thatcher and has interviewed every Prime Minister since. She's probably also interviewed whoever it is that's going to be our Prime Minister next month. <laughs> She premiered her first novel, The Legacy of Elizabeth Pringle, at the Salon almost exactly five years ago, actually. I think it was just Salon before, the Salon after David. Uh, tonight, she returns to take us all uh, to the House by the Lock, which is this really lovely proof that I have here. Um, the House by the Lock, you shouldn't let your American publishers change that to The House by the Lake. I bet they'll try. Um, the, the, novel is set in, oops, the novel is set in Galloway, um, one of the most beautiful and but least well-known bits of Scotland. Um, if you're watching the weather forecast, it's the lump to the left where England ends, um, that big bit. And it's incredibly beautiful. I didn't know it until reasonably recently when I went to the Big Town Book Festival. It's amazing. Um, there's not very many people there. Um, there is a lot of beauty. Anyway, in the novel, there are three generations of a family struggling uh, with grief in the present and a secret from the past. So it draws on historic events like our debut novel and a bit of our personal history. Um, but Jean and Walter and their families aren't real. I had to read it really quickly in the middle to find out what happened. And then I went back and slowed down just to enjoy the view. Please welcome Kirsty Warwick. Exciting. Hi. Right, look at the cowboy boots. <laughs> they are kick-arse. Um, so which bit are you going to read for us? Um, I am going to read uh, a bit which is uh, very important in um, Walter and Jean are 22 and 21 respectively and it's a flowering relationship that each has a different expectation of it and Walter of course is um, incredibly excited by this beautiful young woman who is met at the Piv, the Pavilion in Air. And he brings her down to uh, Loch Doon, which is this incredibly lonely stretch of water six miles long uh, on the South Ayrshire Galloway border. Uh, it's a loch that actually holds many secrets and is a scene of later in the novel, uh, Great Grief. Um, but at this point, he is wooing her, and he is, he's a young engineer because the Loch Doon is part of the wonderful hydro project uh, which expanded through the southwest of Scotland in the 1930s. So if I just read this little bit, mm -hmm. bit when he comes with her to the loch, brings her to the loch, something he's prepared for very well. When they arrived at the dam at the loch, Walter jumped out of the Land Rover and sprinted round to the passenger door to lift Jean down. It amazed him that his hands could encircle her waist, and as she stepped off the running board, he swung her around as lightly as a ballet dancer and set her down on the track. Then he retrieved the bicycles and put the picnic in one front basket and a rug and the champagne in the other. What a sight, she called out as they pedaled along the loch together. It's as if the hills have come rolling down to meet us. She sounded her bicycle bell and shouted out, Hello, hello, is there anyone here? A startled heron lifted off from a dead tree at the side of the track as if a branch had suddenly come to life and flapped across the loch 50 yards away. There's your answer, Walter said with a laugh, and if any of its feathers land on you, it will bring you luck so pedal fast. They kept pace with each other along the track, and every so often Jean let out a shriek as she bumped over a rut on the rough road and then she laughed at Walter as he copied her with an exaggerated yell. And they could feel each other's exhilaration and skittishness as keenly if they were cycling through solid air. Five miles along the shore, they came to the ruins of a 13th century castle sitting in a clearing. We're here, Walter called out as he braked. Your castle awaits, my lady. 
He shook out the rug and opened the picnic basket. Jean dropped to her knees, her legs suddenly shaky from the ride, and held out tin cups while Walter uncorked the champagne with an echoing pop. She took a sip. Déjeuner sur l'herbe, she said as she offered her mouth for a kiss. How delicious, murmured Walter. I've never tasted champagne before, and in a kiss too. They sat against the warm stone, looking at the lock, their shoulders touching, shy suddenly. He told her that for 800 years, the castle at their back had stood on a rocky outcrop in the middle of the lock. Imagine, on mornings when the mist was on the water, the castle must have looked as if it was levitating. What I remember is when it really did start to disappear, just before I started school. Walter told Jean that he'd sat day after day, watching as more than a hundred stonemasons and labourers, laughing and joking in an Irish brogue that he could hardly understand, took the castle down stone by stone and marked each one with a number. They loaded the huge blocks onto a barge that went back across the hundred yards to the shore to be unloaded on barrows to a makeshift jetty. The men on the island and the men on the jetty used to shout insults at each other through loud hailers. Come on, you shite hawks. You're slower than a week weekend in Bantry. The ashlar blocks were laid out on the ground like a jigsaw and then hoisted up by a giant crane and inched into position by men whose strong hands, as big as shovels, had never before been put to such a strange task and never would again. Get away, Padraig. You can't count, you idiot. You'll be putting five next to eight and it'll be like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Walter was captivated by the weather-beaten army who lived in a canvas encampment, dressed in the uniform of flat caps and collarless shirts, who could always find a boiling sweetie for him in their waistcoat pockets when they put their hands in to search for their tobacco. Maybe that's why I'm so good at numbers. Maybe that's why I like the precision of engineering, he mused. It was like an initiation. He turned to see Jean staring out at the lock. He reddened, so sorry, I I'm boring you. No, you're not, said Jean quickly and squeezed his arm. Go on, please. He told her that the castle would have been lost forever if they hadn't moved it for the hydro project. Sometimes at low water, you can see the outcrop in the middle of the loch. The castle was held by supporters of the Bruce, and the story goes that years later, the portcullis gates were wrenched off by James V's men when they attacked. Now they're buried deep in the loch in a cat's cradle of weeds. How romantic it all is, Jean said dreamily. Then she raised her hand and pointed at the hills. The Merrick and the range of the awful hand, Mochwacher, Corserine, Cairnsmore of Carsfern. It sounds like a spell, doesn't it? Walter opened his eyes wide and stared at her in amazement. She smiled at him, pleased. I studied the Ordnance Survey map in the library. The names are beautiful, aren't they? Walter put his hand on her cheek and kissed her. It was enough. He'd planned to tell her more. He wanted her to know that when he was 10, he'd built a cairn on the moor in the memory of a man called Frantisek Heckel and visited it still. But now she was enchanted. He did not want her to think of the loch as a place of death. A curlew trilled overhead as she lay back in the rug, drowsy with champagne, and closed her eyes. He looked down at her and stroked her cheek, and then he laid his fedora over her face to keep her from the low autumn sun. And I was just thinking about that from Jean's perspective and him telling these stories and kind of going on and on as she's saying it's beautiful. And actually, she is a little bit, I think she's a little bit bored. But for her, that's really important, isn't it? Because 
this is a di they're both getting involved in a very different marriage, aren't they? They're getting involved in a very different relationship at first. And in a way, as we find out in the novel, it's a way uh, for Jean um, to escape her home. And she escapes a home that's a very unhappy, difficult home. And as you talked about earlier, unidentified uh, problems in the family, uh, which then have a massive impact uh, on her going forward. Uh, particularly her relationship w with her mother, her father less so, he's more of a peripheral character. Uh, but she has to escape and she sees Walter as he stands with his back to her in the pavilion. His tweed and back. She's, with his tweed back, with his new tweed suit that he's just picked up. And in this she sees her escape. And he's a, a simple soul. She is a very clever young woman who has been in a sense thwarted. Her father wanted her not even to work actually. And she goes in and works in a library and that is a huge outlet for her. Um, her creativity. Yeah, yeah. So she sees him as an anchor. Yes, really. completely. Um, and that he's going to stabilise her. Yeah. And he, he adores her too much from the start. Yeah, no. He he can see none of our he can see none of our potential faults. Yes. Well, not faults, but well, flaw, well, flaws, and yeah. and they quickly become apparent. Yeah. Uh, and and then in in the book, there's kind of Walter is a central character. Jean, his wife, and his granddaughter Carson will come on to talk about uh, grandparent yeah. relationships. In your book, and in a way, what I'm sort of saying, hoping to say with the book, if you're trying to say anything, is that families can be very easily unmade through no faults of their own, but then can be made in a different way again. Mm. And and I wanted to um, explore that kind of intergenerational way, how things move and become apparent. And then in this book, there are a lot of secrets, which in a way, I suppose, like Elizabeth Pringle, come un yeah. you know, unfold towards the, the latter third of the book. Yeah, I mean, you fairly gallop through the, the, the last bit of it. And I didn't actually see it coming, which I, was, I thought, well, good for her. Um, but I, I really didn't. And I, and I went back and then I could see the points where you'd sort of sown the seed. But I didn't know what the secret would be from the past that was kind of going to affect the present. But I want to talk a bit more about Jeannie as a character because she's, she's really, really attractive. Yes, um, and she is. And she, she looks very attractive. Lisa Hyten's made her look particularly attractive. Yes, yes, she has. She's looking lovely <laughs> on the cover. And, but she's a feminist yeah. in, at a time when, the, when people wouldn't use that word. And she's a librarian in, in air. And she starts the first section in the library for women writers. Yes, yeah. she does. And, and of course, you know, there are, you know, and, and she, her mother is very, called Edith, and um, her mother's kind of very interested in Edith Wharton and collects Edith Wharton memorabilia. And so that's a way of Jean sort of at a very young age, showing great promise in the library by digging out old Edith Wharton books, you know, I, I like that idea that she has this hinterland mm. uh, and she also has a hinterland um, in a way like David's characters with the stage, you know, and, uh, and that then is passed on to two generations hence as well. But what I think is really interesting about the stage is with Jean is that um, as opposed to, to, to David's Charlie, where it's like excruciating and he's, you know, as all teenagers are doing, they're trying on different identities. It's only when Jean is on a stage that you actually get any sense that she's stable yes. or that she's being herself. Yes. And, and I think that's right, because in fact, she's having to, I think, in a way, because her family is so damaged, play a part of herself, try and work out who she is. And she's too young to do that. And she doesn't really have the tools. So through Amdram and, you know, Air had the Airfort players, which is one of the very first Amdrams in Scotland. Mm. Uh, you know, she, she is transformed. And again, 
another layer of captivation by Walter when he sees her on stage. And he is, you know, he's a young man. He, you know, he, he's, he's lived in Loch Doon all his life. He's learned to be an engineer. He's worked in this fantastic, modernist, beautiful hydro stations. Um, but, he's, but he's not a cultured man. No. Uh, and um, he's a very clever clever man but he has never had a, been allowed to see that side of him flourish and in fact in a sense what happens two generations later is allows her helps his granddaughter to flourish in that way yeah yes i think both the, the, the gift of that performativity and also the curse of what, whatever it is yeah. i mean you never really name no. the illness i mean I don't. jean's mother Edith never leaves the house that she lives in. It's a very yeah. My son house. calls her a shut-in. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, that really what you know. That's indeed what happened. You know, there are other people I know that were like that. Um, there, there were other people. Yeah. Who, yeah. Well, great aunts and things like that. I knew people that were very re reclusive. Um, so I'm drawing on that, but it's not them. No. Um, Can I but, just go back to that for a second? So, what you would would you go to see them as a as a girl? Yeah. Yeah, I would go and see a great aunt who very rarely left the house. I mean, she wasn't entirely a shut-in, but she very rarely left. But there are particular reasons for Edith not leaving, which are different kinds of reasons. Yeah. And the, the, pull, the pull for Jean very much is to have this relationship with Walter that lets her escape. But what she's escaping to is a very remote loch. Yeah where Walter is utterly anchored and cannot leave, and I think that's a kind of recurring, recurring trope, yeah. uh, he can't leave. And in a way, his not being able to leave is part of the destruction. Why can't he leave? I mean, he could, because he gets a job offer, he could go somewhere else, but he feels, he feels bound to this lock, and I think it's because of what happened at the start. But at the start, and um, well, it was only when I was re researching the book that I realised, and I, I'll say it because it's right and it's on the first page, uh, when I was researching this book, um, I had no idea um, that in Loch Doon there was a Czech pilot from the Second World War and a Spitfire. And what happened when the Free Czechs managed to get through France and came to join the Air Force, they had their own squadron. And the squadron trained out of air. Oh, right. Uh, the air base at air. And so Walter was aware of these Spitfires kind of flying around. I mean, they still use that area for low flying. Um, and this day when he's little and he's out in the lock and he's on his own and he hears that low drone from the distance and we don't know immediately what it is, but what happens is suddenly the Spitfire comes into view and nobody knows exactly what happened, but they think what happened was that because Loch Doon is in fact a reservoir now and was a reservoir from the late 1930s, that the bailiff might have raised the water level. Oh, so that, so, so early morning, the Czech, Francis Heck Heckel, who was retraining in Spitfires because I'd read that he was, he was in a much bigger planes before he came over and they all trained out of air in Spitfires and he came down over the water very, very low and he just tipped his wing and he never came out. And that's all, as a little boy, Walter saw this go down. And he didn't think it was his fault in a way, but it, he felt it was something that only he had witnessed and could bear witness to. Mm. And I think that was really one of the reasons he stayed. And the other thing was so he carries it. He carries it. He carries that, and he carries that through the book. And he doesn't want to tell Jean about it because he doesn't want to terrify her that there's something dead in the lock. Mm. And then you said in cowardice as well? In yeah, case. because in cowardice, because, you know, it's what he knows. Mm -hmm. I don't think he would want to go away he also knows that if he marries Jean she has to be near her mother right and so this pool push pool whether they should go if he goes to air he's further away from his work he doesn't want her to work young middle-class women in the 50s you know especially when they're pregnant after they're pregnant didn't work very often mm. and so he, he's torn so he so he so they make their life in the lock and then Jean wants to stay in the lock as a way of getting away from her yeah. home in air 
Yeah, but her world gets smaller and smaller because she's not allowed. To, she's not allowed to work, and then she, she starts to drink. He would let her work, but yeah. she didn't. She was, and then the, the, what we what is revealed in the book is that she is starting to drink, yeah. and um, in a very sad way, it unravels the marriage, and he has no way of dealing with it. Um, he hasn't the tools to deal with it. She can't admit to it, and it. It, it brings the most terrible calamity on the family. Yeah. Uh, and that's a later calamity, and then an early calamity, and then in the next generation, there's another calamity. It keeps going because it's not discussed, it's not talked about. It's, it's not discussed. Kind of and in, in many ways, and, and it's that's quite interesting quite because mental health is, is completely Scottish, uh, but yeah, also yeah. mental health issues of many, because are, are even, funny if I just did start the week this morning about the whole idea of mental health with the wonderful poet George Surtees, and the mental health issues were rarely discussed. Mm really discussed. My great aunt, in fact, my great aunt is a kind of recurring theme because she, she didn't form the character for Elizabeth Pringle at all, but the great aunt that really left the house, she was one of the first people in Scotland to undergo electroshock treatment. Um, when she was a young woman, she was VAD in the First World War and she came back and she didn't work. She kind of looked after the family house and everybody in it. And it was never discussed really. She didn't at least have treatment, but it was never discussed. But Jean's- Did the treatment work? Um, I don't think it did actually. No. I don't think it did. She was always on her own and I think she had a bow and it he went away to New Zealand and she kept saying she was gonna go and my, my one of my elderly uncles said there used to be every so often a telegram would come in and you know, there was great Aunt Bertha was going away, and then she wasn't going away, and then she was going to New Zealand, and then she wasn't. Mm. And she was deeply fragile. Yeah. Um so uh, to me uh, uh, they love each other and they're they're amazingly romantic together at yeah, times yeah, yeah. but at other times it crashes and burns let's talk about um galloway because it's i think really very few people have kind of gone there it's where you drive you drive past it don't you when you go up the border you'd have to make a conscious decision to go well you go from go yeah if there. you're going down to um galloway forest park you go down from air and there'll be a map in the book uh, you go down from air uh, through to castle douglas and um onto dumfries and i was the first three years of my life i spent in castle douglas i know that area very well because my father fished there his whole life because his first job after the war as a lawyer was in castle douglas so i knew that area and i knew how remote it was mm. Um, and I always loved it. And, and what did you love about it? I love the bleakness of it in a way, but yeah. I also love the Galloway Hills. And, and I love the climate, which is... A, and there's great covenanting history there. There's more covenanting history in the book, but Lisa quite rightly said, let's le less of the history. Um, so, so it was an area that I wanted to celebrate because it is so little known. And also because there's a wonderful, who many of you I'm sure will know, sculptor called Andy Goldsworthy, yeah. who has um, in Moni Ive, uh, put his first, what was the Striding Arch? And the Striding Arch is all about emigration, who stays and who goes. Mm -hmm. And these Striding Arches are beautiful, perfect sandstone arches. And the first one comes out of an old cow buyer at a place that was called Conrate, which was cleared. People went from right. there, uh, probably to Canada. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and, the, and half of the arch is inside the buyer and half of it strides out. And then there's two more in the hills. And then these striding arches are in upstate New York, they're in Canada, and they're in New Zealand. So the places people left and the places, places people, people went. left and people, and the, my point is that Walter stays. And in many ways, as a young engineer, yeah. you know, with the training he got in the hydro, he could have gone north, he could have gone abroad. Mm. 
but he is anchored very much the same way as half the striding arch is anchored. Now, some people do have, have to leave, they feel compelled to yeah. go, and you portray something that I thought was, I mean, it was very personal and relevant to me, and I, I had never read it before, where um, you know, this lesbian character is forced kind of to leave Scotland in the, you know, the 80s, yeah. because she can't be herself, she just, she'll just be the lesbian, she'll just be the yeah. lesbian or the lesbian well, auntie, yeah. so she goes to New York, yes. she becomes one of those people yeah. who leaves. She, she leaves, and, and she is much the happier for it. Yeah, of course. Uh, but she's leaving um, her twin sister sister behind and you know th this this actually is as you say it's, it's really the late 70s you know when dis discrimination was awful yeah you know I can remember at my school you know girls there was any hint um, they were they were called names they were shunned there was there was twittering there was whispering and so forth and you know um, this young woman is enormously talented and then mm. goes on to work in a place that I absolutely adore, so I wanted to put her there, which the is the library. Morgan Library in New York, um, where, where she has a really wonderfully fulfilled life, but there's a resentment again about her sister because she misses her, but you know they can't afford to go. Uh -huh. She's poorly paid in New York, and as we know, Americans get few holidays. So there's a push-pull of that as well. Yeah, but America has, has been a really important place in your life and in the life of your family mm -hmm. as well. You give to, to one of the characters sort of the experience that your son has had yes. of going to university yeah. there and, and, and becoming an actor and becoming, you know, himself yes. in a way. Yes, yes. And, and I think that, that, and I love the fact my daughter's here too, and she went for a year as well, and I think that idea, and I see young people doing it now much more than we would have had a chance to do, well, mm. certainly when I was growing up, of going. It's closer now. It seems closer. You can have that other experience, and our lives are enriched by it. Mm. And she was allowed to be herself and blossom there, which in a way yeah. that she would never have done an air in that period. Yeah. You know, even later than that, you know, a friend of mine who's gay didn't come out for so long, mm because of the opprobrium from his small town in Scotland. Yeah. And we, we must never hide from that, you know. No. Prejudice is a hellish thing. Yeah, yeah, but... I, <laughs> yeah, I, yes, no shit Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> you do, one of the miraculous things that you do in the book is that you make air seem glamorous. Yeah, um, it was. Which it will be, is. But, but, it was. No, it was but very, I was like, it was so. The there's pavilion. A, there's the pavilion. They're dancing. There's yeah. the library. There's a tea room. There's yeah, a, there's a, a wonderful little Italian restaurant, which was the first Italian restaurant in air. Right. Okay. Yeah, the first really. Italian restaurant in yeah. air. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, because you've got to remember that was the other brilliant thing. I mean, you know, and it happens with Von Vaughan and Krull in Edinburgh. Yeah. That, and also, you know, people, you know, you know, Paolo Nettini's family, lots of famous Italian Scots yep, came here, and then Lena's already had to be interred in the Second World War, or some of them came pre-Second World War. Yeah. And there's this wonderfully vibrant Italian-Scottish community. Yeah. And some of it is actually in air. You know, I, I went to school with Italian-Scottish girls uh, uh, when I was at school in air, and um, it, it's a tremendous... Um, but how did, you, how did you conjure it to me? Because it isn't glamorous now. I mean, when I, <laughs> when, I went, when I went on school trips there, I mean, it's like... I'm from the Bronx and I was going to sub-Bronx. I mean, I was, we didn't want to get off the oh. bus when we got to here. No, it was, the beach was nice. I mean, in a kind of very frigid cold way. But, it was, but, the, but, but the, what I did get as a sense as a child, though, was that it, what, it was ruined because it had been glamorous. There it had big been sandstone buildings. Oh, yes. I mean, beautiful, you know. I mean, one of these wonderful railway hotels very, which are throughout the UK. Yeah. But particularly, there was a lovely one, which is now a complete disaster. 
Um, there was this fantastic Art Deco cinema. At the, actually, we, I, at one point I was going to have them go to the Art Deco cinema in Castle Douglas, which actually has lovers double seats, and few cinemas have that. Uh, but that was a really big thing in air, was to have that fabulous, you yeah. know, and, and people went to the movies all the time. That's fascinating. A and, um, and it was a real, a real thing, and it was very glamorous, and velvet seats and all that kind of stuff. And so air was a very, very prosperous place. So what did for it? Uh, what did for it was the end of it, it went a lot of industry. What did for it as well was people going abroad on holiday. Right. You know, Edwardians went along all along that coast. These mm. were brilliant places to go for holidays. As you said, the beach is fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, Old, but fantastic. Yes. Um, but Ayr's also a place, and also it's got fantastic things like, you know, I mean, it, there, there, it's got one of the oldest um, wine cellars you probably know That's it, Corny and Barrow, Wiggums. And there are lots of places to go to. And it's know, got a lovely Carnegie Library. It's got a brilliant library, and that is one of the most beautiful Carnegie libraries. And it was very important to me that I put Jean there, partly as a kind of clarion call because I adore libraries, and what's happening to libraries is awful. I mean, remaking them is brilliant, closing them is hellish. Yes, absolutely. And I. <laughs> And I was lucky enough to go up in Kilmarnock, again, a town that's, you know, it was a country industrial town, at which a lot of it's, you know, really ruined now, which had the Dick Institute, which was just the best place to go as a child. You went, you get books out, three books, took them back, two weeks later, always had fantastic books, always wonderful place to go. Yeah, well, it's worked its magic on you, um, and your second novel is brilliant. So thank you for premiering it here tonight. Thank you, Kirsty Walk. We'll be back Thank after you. the interval. <laughs>